Hey, everyone. You found the Don't Suck at AI podcast, where you'll hear from AI industry icons about how their companies are producing successful AI solutions that are changing the way we do business today and into the future. So here's your host, John Lindsay. Welcome, everyone, to season three of all things of the Don't Suck It AI podcast. Today, we're going way down under, talking about innovation and some of the latest Web3 technology. And in order to have that conversation, we're covering about 10,000 miles. And we have reached out to Lisa Fitzgerald, a partner at the law firm of Lander Rogers. She is super tech savvy. She's a lawyer and she's also an amazing singer, too. She'll tell us a little bit more about that later and the creator of the split chain concept, which is really what intrigued us greatly, Lisa. So she's an expert in digital transformation, technology development and procurement, including AI, biometric and behavioral driven tech bill. We don't even know what half of that even is. That's amazing. Yes. In addition, she's been a catalyst and champion for building a hub of internal technology that will provide Lander and Rogers clients the latest technologies that they need to digitally transform as well. So pretty obvious as to why we wanted to have her on. What we're going to do is what we typically do. We're going to let uh, Lisa tell us a little bit about herself before we dive into this thing. So what did I miss? Lisa, tell us a little bit about yourself. I covered a few things, but tell us a few things about yourself that I might have missed. Thanks, John. And, and thanks, Bill, for having me on the podcast. I'm so excited to be participating and thank you for, for the invitation. I'm a lawyer of 20 plus years in age and have focused a lot in the technology space, also in the complementary area of intellectual property rights, media, telco and privacy. So we're doing lots of exciting things down under and can't wait to talk to you about them. Awesome. We're going to get to that because we're geeks too, and we're really excited about starting to talk about that technology. But as we always do on the Don't Suck at AI podcast, we got to hit the Don't Suck fun fact. And actually, we've got a really good one this time. So like all good Australians, Lisa's a huge music fan, and she has dabbled herself in some electro pop back in the day. So she's going to tell us a little bit about what she's done as a music sensation. Please tell us a little bit about what you did back then. I found it super intriguing. I know our audience will too. Well, you did put out the challenge, John, to, to kind of come up with um, some gold and my lawyer's <laughs> who I work with will be shocked <laughs> to learn about this. But as a very much younger me, I was in a duo with my boyfriend. Really, I was just the support act to his incredible songwriting talent and his musicianship. And we had a very kind of cool electro pop vibe going on back then. And it was way before social media and, you know, all of that kind of ability to self-publish. We had to go out and get a record deal, which was kind of like finding a needle in a haystack at the time. It was it was so difficult to get a deal, but we got a deal. The record company invested in us for a little bit and then the record company dropped us. So we were lucky enough to, <laughs> to publish two songs and video clips that went with it. Yeah, it was just amazing. We had a whole catalogue. We had probably, I don't know, five albums worth of publishable material or we thought it was. Yeah, that was just an amazing time in my life and I kind of did that, you know, lawyer by day, wannabe pop star by night and um, it was a lot, a lot of fun. Wow. That is absolutely awesome, isn't it, Bill? And you know, we got to ask, right? Because we live in a digital world. So can anybody find this out there on vinyl, 8-track, digital media? Where are people going to run into this that they might dig some of this up at some point? Well, if only it was on vinyl, that would have been, you know, the holy grail. 
<laughs> uh, that sound quality. But yeah, it, you can find it on a CD somewhere, probably in a secondhand shop. But yeah, it's kind of evidence is out there, but I don't publicize it. If you look hard enough, you'll find it. But actually, I don't want to embarrass anyone, least of all myself or my lawyers. So it's it's really in the fold. Well, awesome being a good sport. I've seen some of the, the footage. It's amazing. You are super talented. Thank you for being a good sport about it. But normally we only do one fun fact, but but we were talking before we kicked off here and you shared with us a piece of information that we absolutely have to share with our listeners. And that is that you are up for an award and it is the American Chamber of Commerce Award. What did you call it? The AmCham Alliance Award for Innovation and Technology. Tell us a little bit about that because that happens to be an American award and you're in Australia and that is epic. So please do share. It's just such an honour. I can't believe that um, I'm a finalist. I'm one of five in the digital economy category. The only lawyer and Landron Rogers is the only law firm that in the mix of nominees. And it's just the most yeah, incredible honour. And for the privilege of being nominated and a finalist, I have the amazing opportunity to meet some incredible people, including uh, the US ambassador to Australia, Carolyn Kennedy. So just beyond thrilled to have that opportunity coming up in a couple of weeks. Wow, congratulations. That, that is amazing. The reason we really wanted to have you on was all the amazing work that you're doing in the technology arena, particularly in the legal space. And so I think it's time to dive right in. So Bill, I'm going to start with the first question. So at least let's talk a little bit about, about a recent article that you wrote, because we saw a, an article in Lawyers Weekly, which is really what intrigued us and said, we've got to have you on this on the podcast. You coined a new phrase called split chain. And and we're going to talk about that a little bit more down the road, and you're going to tell us in detail what that ultimately means. But first, let's talk a little bit about your your passion, your love for technology, because listen, we've been in the legal space now for a while, and I got to tell you, lawyers loving technology is not the norm. At least that's not what I have seen. So talk to us a little bit about how you started grooving on technology and where that passion came from. Uh, I started out as a litigator, actually, and had the very great fortune of being a High Court Judges Associate with former Justice Ken Hain, who is an amazing powerhouse of a brain here in the legal profession in Australia. And I think I really had to focus my career aspirations after that experience because it really was amazing to be working in the High Court, the highest appellate court in Australia, and seeing legal argument at its you know most compelling and developed and experiencing judges wrestle with really tricky legal concepts. And I just wasn't quite sure that I was in my home, I suppose, in that environment. So I kind of explored other options to use my own brain, but within the practice of law, within private practice. And that kind of led me into the world of intellectual property rights and technologies. I think why I was drawn to that so much is having had a history of performing arts, ballet, piano, music, all of that sort of stuff, a bit of acting, I really was drawn to how you protect uh, endeavour of the mind. And intellectual property rights is, of course, the legal body of rights that does that. And so I think that's kind of the genesis of my interest in this area. When I was starting out in my career, technology was kind of just taking off. <laughs> and so intellectual property rights were very much a part of technology and how you sort of came to exploit that within a commercial setting and how you did that, you know, using sort of robust legal structures. So I think that's kind of why I ended up where I did, just attracted to all sorts of innovation born of, of the mind and how you protect that legally. Well, Elisa, we, we absolutely love the, the article, the white paper that you published, and it piqued our interest, as John said, 
as we have a great deal of interest in blockchain and smart contracts and that sort of thing, in many cases, when we bring up the words like blockchain, it's kind of a black box to many people. It conjures up feelings of fear and confusion. But you coined a phrase, as John mentioned, uh, that you call split chain, and you depict exactly how it fits into existing legal structures. So let's talk about its origin and why you came up with it. Thanks, Bill. Well, I think blockchain technology is an extremely complex technology. You might sort of know enough to know that it's distributed ledger technology, but again, what does that actually mean and what's the benefit of blockchain technology? So I I wanted to get my head around blockchain technology in order to advise my clients properly about it because we've seen a huge uptick in inquiries around blockchain, artificial intelligence, all sorts of emerging tech, but blockchain in particular. So I really wanted to try and understand the technology itself, to then be able to understand how it was going to deliver on the various use cases that were coming sort of before my desk, and then understand how the law currently applies to blockchain or how it can help execute these use cases that are so completely innovative. And what I discovered is that actually there's there's been a huge misconception around blockchain and its current applicability to existing legal framework. And it's almost as if people have thought, well, it's so new and it's so innovative and it doesn't really fit in any existing box that it almost defies the law. And let's just see how we can how far we can take this without really bothering too much about the law. Let's just get the technology out there, get the use case out there, get the business case out there and think about the law later because it probably doesn't apply anyway. And that's actually, you know, not true. And it can be the death knell of a business opportunity because the legal considerations have not been considered. And I think we've seen that. We're sort of yet to really understand the full effects, but we've kind of seen it in the merge recently. So I'm sure many of the listeners will be familiar with Ethereum and its move from its change over the past five years from a consensus mechanism of proof of work to proof of stake and how that may have changed the legal characterization of the technology itself into a security and all of a sudden governed by securities law. So again, just an example of how it can be a, a huge mistake not to consider the existing legal principles that apply to your use case. And so blockchain is not a law unto itself. It is a technology that sits alongside existing legal principle. And that's really the idea of split chain is to think about two strands of rules working together. It's not just the automated technology rules, it's the legal rules as well. And they work together. And it's not helpful to think that they exist independently. It's much more helpful to think that they coexist. And in fact, that there's a codependency, almost like a double helix in a a sort of DNA construct. It's much more helpful to think of it in that way, I think. Really intriguing, Lisa. Talk to us a little bit about how the split chain actually functions. Yeah, so I think smart contracts are a great example of a blockchain. And really, they work to automate transactions. Blockchain is a trusted technology that can ensure movement of a store of value, whether fungible token or a non-fungible token, from one person to another person. And it can do that automatically based on cryptography. A transaction like that alone is not going to give you any legal remedies if there's a mistake with blockchain the records are immutable. So what is really beneficial is when we marry that automated blockchain transaction with legal rights. And sometimes that can be done completely in an automatic fashion and smart legal contracts actually perform that function. 
But what is different about that is that you've got the contract itself or the terms of the transaction not only communicated in code but also communicated in natural language or the language of contract that sits outside of that blockchain technology. And so that's getting closer to how we use contract law in commerce today and in the Web 2.0 environment. The volatility of you know crypto and NFTs has, I believe, really been created by the absence of, you know, that sort of thought about contractual certainty and accessible natural language contract terms that are accessible to people so that they really understand the transactions that they're undertaking, you know, on the blockchain. You know, if you've bought any NFTs yourself, for example, taking creative NFTs and digital collectibles, many of the audience may have experienced participating in the type of transaction and they'll have their wallet. You need your kind of MetaMask wallet to actually perform the transaction, to pay the crypto that you need to pay to, you know, to own the token, and then it goes into your wallet. But very rarely when you're buying NFTs on OpenSea or or you find an NFT on someone's website, do you really understand what you're buying? The token obviously represents something. It's It's almost like a certificate of ownership, but is it a license to view the image? Is it only to sit in your your wallet and your MetaMask wallet and do nothing else with? Can you sell it on or can you exploit it in some way? Terms and conditions really help consumers understand what it is they're buying and selling and what they can do with it. And I think once creatives, once investors start thinking more about necessarily just about digital scarcity uh, that creates value in a creative NFT, it might be that there's a bundle of rights that come with that NFT as well to exploit it or to, to put the image up on your video screen or to sort of incorporate it into some advertisement or something like that. There might be some other ways that can make that particular NFT really valuable. And you know, you really can only do that when you specify what that value is. But lawyers will say that the, the best way to do that is to express it in an enforceable legal contract. And so having a natural language contract that human beings understand and that you can rely on and enforce when you need to is why I've introduced this concept of split chain to make sure that thought is always being given to the natural language intention of that blockchain transaction. I have another question. So in in some of our earlier conversations, you shared with us how your group is developing some assessment and risk rating applications that would assist your clients as they prepare for some of the transformation that they would like to deploy in the future. So talk to us about some of the internal technology you have developed thus far and how it will be leveraged in conjunction with some of the split chain concepts we've discussed to this point. Yeah, thanks, Bill. It's so exciting to have the opportunity to to talk to you about this. What we've discovered, and it's no news to anybody um, listening in today, but most businesses now, you know, depend on technology to operate. It's a license to operate in the world of commerce. And so technology has been a central investment and modus operandi for most, if not all businesses today. But with technology, of course, comes data. And data, as we know, fuels technology in order to work. And so it has a value. And certainly this value is very well known to cyber criminals. Um, So what's really critical to understand in this context is that the types of fuel or the the types of data can vary in terms of sensitivity, contractual and legal obligations and risk to business. And so we've seen regulations develop all over the world to deal with what is really a spectrum of data risk. And it sort of starts with personal information, but of course it, it extends to other categories of information too, such as confidential information, financial information, information relating to critical infrastructure and 
all of those different sets of data can have different regulatory treatments and reporting obligations as well. At Landron Rogers, we've been developing a software product to help make compliance with data regulations easier. We've focused on personal information to start with using a cross-disciplinary team of phenomenal legal technologists and lawyers. And we've designed a tool based on our own experience as practitioners, both in-house in the law firm environment as well. And I guess the objective of this tool is, is to try and make sure that compliance is not only achievable, but more accessible to all companies, no matter what their size or, you know, what their budgets. Our tool is called Privacy Comply. And at the moment, it's specific to the Australian jurisdiction, but it has very real potential to be developed beyond that. And we're just, you know, really, really excited to have to have sort of automated a privacy impact assessment that is pretty much tick the box type of approach. And it generates a risk rating as well as some suggested actions to help reduce the risk and obviously some pointers as to when certain issues are so serious that they should be escalated and whether that's to the board or whether that's to your in-house counsel or external counsel. That's really the point of the tool. And it's really in recognition of personal information as a public good as, as well as a private good. So we're very, very excited. That is awesome. That really intrigued. We almost need a separate episode once that comes out so you can start to share with us yeah. how that ultimately goes, because that is pushing the envelope innovation-wise. Let's see firms take that mantra. It's tough building software. It's tough. But look, we're a software firm. We, we know how hard it is to build software. To be a law firm and to attempt to do that and to do it well, that's really aggressive. That is really innovative. Good stuff. So look, we've grilled you pretty hard about all the amazing technology that you're bringing to the table. It's it's impressive. It really is. So let's look a little further out, though, not at what you're doing today, but what are we going to be doing next week, next year, next three, five years? What do you see? You know, you're looking at all this technology. You're you're immersed in it just like we are. Pull the crystal ball out and talk to us a little bit about what you see when you look down the road for both legal and legal tech. What jazzes you? What gets you fired up? <laughs> what jazzes <laughs> Um, well, there are probably two things, John. So first, I was fortunate recently to, to be asked to give an opening address at the Law Tech Summit hosted by Chile IQ on the Gold Coast here in Australia. And it's all about the potential of tech to change the way we practice law. That gave me the opportunity to think about these issues. You know, I guess I'm not really sure that any clients like the billable hour model and the time and materials model that law firms tend to operate by. And without sort of wanting to be too controversial because that model has served law firms and, and including my own very well. But it, the issue with that is that it's, you know, time is finite. The ability for law firms to to even sort of run a business on a finite model is, is limiting. So I think there are a lot of reasons, not just client demand for fixed pricing as opposed to hourly billing, but also I think for law firms themselves to start competing a little bit more in the way other businesses is, is going to push the envelope and the thinking around um, how the practice of law evolves in the future. And so I think some of our services can be automated. Some of our services could be provided on a subscription basis. So our privacy comply tool will be an example of that. It will be a subscription sort of software as a service product, but we're calling it law as a service, a last tool. But I think there's space for other innovation as well. So historically as a profession reduced our legal advice to, to written word, you know, and we've gone from expressing that using fancy quills and inkwells and all of that sort of stuff to keyboards and I think audio files are going to be sort of a way we can deliver legal advice in the future that's going to be a little bit more effective. Law as a service or uh, software as a service solutions as well, as I've mentioned, automated monitoring that can navigate a 
monitor regulatory change, I think will be really important. Businesses are operating globally and understanding what the regulatory environment is in relation to your particular service globally is something that I think technology will be able to help monitor and navigate. AI detection of variation of contract by conduct. So um, some of the listeners out there will be aware of their lawyers, especially that the written word isn't always the whole story, that the parties can affect a change to a contract by their conduct. And so I think there might be a role for AI to detect when that happens and um, create more certainty to contractual arrangements that are fit for purpose in the modern day and, and the way we communicate with each other. Rights and asset registration systems and transfer mechanisms on blockchain or using blockchain to deliver certain features of a particular contractual arrangement. So I think these are just some of the ways that the practice of law could be transformed now or in the near future and that they will offer advantages both to clients and, and to lawyers alike. The second point that, you know, you've given me the opportunity to look into my crystal ball, we're certainly seeing a lot of vulnerability around personal information, the over-collection of personal information, the retention of uh, personal information by companies for way longer than, than it's needed in breach of privacy laws. And so I think there's an opportunity to perhaps think more creatively or differently about how we identify people. There's a tendency at the moment to obviously, there's requirements around anti-money laundering and know your customer and, you know, establishing someone's identity is core to that. You know, certainly in Australia, your 100 points of identification that we use here, your driver's license, passport or your, your healthcare references, all of that sort of stuff can be a whole bundle of sensitive personal information that if in the wrong hands can cause harm to, to individuals. And so I think we've sort of getting to a tipping point where that sort of problem that's attempting to be cured by that collection of information to prove someone's identity has probably started to result in more risk to individuals. So individuals are bearing the risk of money laundering, the risk of financial crime individuals are starting to feel that with the rise of cyber attacks and their personal information being, you know, taken and published on the dark web. So I think it's really time to start thinking more about biometrics and how biometrics might actually, although not risk-free clearly, might be a better alternative than a sweeping collection of traditional forms of identification documents and, and verification processes. So I think that we'll see a lot of movement in that space. And again, it's just sort of understanding that maybe our traditional way of, of thinking about things are not necessarily going to be the way we should be thinking about them in the future. Wow. Bill, I think you, she just gave us like 11 businesses we need to go start. We need some new divisions here. That's good. That's really Really insightful, good stuff. Well, listen, we've gotten to the point in the show where typically what, what I like to do is go back and, and kind of find some things that you said that really stuck out to us that absolutely didn't suck. And I got to tell you, the list is, I, I normally pick three or four. I'm having to whittle it down here. First of all, a pop star turned lawyer. I mean, that absolutely doesn't suck. That's the first time we've had <laughs> anything like that on the show, Bill. That's that's new. <laughs> I mean, here we are talking to you out of Australia and you've, you're talking American Chamber of Commerce Award. That's amazing. That certainly doesn't suck. Coining the new hybrid technology called split chain. Everybody's going to be talking about it in the future. Everybody's going to be leveraging it. In the legal space, people can't wait to see where this goes. That doesn't suck. And goodness gracious, I just made some notes about privacy comply. I mean, I can't wait to see where that goes as a software product because, Bill, that sounds a lot like some of the tools that, that we've built ourselves. So clearly to see a law firm on the same page that we are on, because this is what we're we're pushing in the industry. We want to see this happen. And we can't be the only ones bringing it to the table. The more, the merrier, right? It's going to push through if we can get more firms to adopt this concept 
that's how innovation happens. And that absolutely doesn't suck. So good Lord, the list could go. I could keep going. I, I could keep going, but I, but I can't because we're going to run out of time. So look, here's what I need you to do. So our listeners are going to want to know where they can follow you. So share with us, if you will, because people are going to want to know more about this. And they're going to want to, want to see where this goes. How do they connect with you? Uh, thanks so much, John. It's been such a pleasure chatting with you guys. So they can find me on my law firm's website, so Landon Rogers, LinkedIn, Instagram, and Twitter. My handle is lawyer for digital That's lawyer number four, digital. And I've also got a website where you can find my white paper on Split Chain, which is splitchain.io. Wow. Well, I am certain that everyone is going to want to see where this goes, particularly those of us that are serving the legal community in any capacity. It's been amazing. Couldn't be more impressed with what you've been able to accomplish up until now. Bill, what did I miss here, man? Good stuff, huh? Oh, yeah. And uh, just to echo what you said, I, I love the split chain concept, this new paradigm for the intersection of blockchain and law. It's going to give a more robust commercialization of blockchain use cases. So can't wait to see how this is is uh, rolled out and uh, some of the new products Lander and Rogers is uh, going to come out with. So congratulations. So listen, when we let everybody go, and I'm going to let you handle this because you've got the cool accent. So, you know, typically what we do when we say goodbye to everybody first, thank you everybody for tuning in and listening to us. It's amazing that we can go around the world with these broadcasts and you guys support us like you do. So to all of our listeners, thank you so much for joining us. Lisa, we typically wrap up by saying that's a rap baby and it's a lot cooler with your accent. So why don't you finish this up for us? You got it? Yeah, I got it. Okay. That's a rap baby. There you go. We're out of here. <laughs>